0: Some of the most lively and colourful entrants in the New Zealand International Film Festival come from the animation section. And this year, in Auckland at any rate, animation gets its own mini-festival within a festival. So, at a time when it seems just about every blockbuster has been at least in part digitally animated, where does that leave the real thing? Well, I'm joined on the line from Melbourne by long-time festival animation programmer Malcolm Turner and his new co-programmer this year, Annie Murray. Hi, both of you. Hello. G'day, how you going? So Malcolm, whose idea was it to have an entire animation festival this year in
1: Auckland? If you think about it, I've been programming animation for the New Zealand Film Festival since the mid-1990s, and if you go back to those days, we probably had 400 or so um, submissions come in, and out of that we've, we would fashion a couple of programs, and on it went. If you look at where we are now, um, this year we got just under 4,400 submissions. gracious. So all types of things, not just in animation, but in film and cinema and moving image, you mm. name it. Um, we need to represent what's happening out there in the big, wide world of independent animation. You were saying in your intro that the digitization of, of the animation landscape in a certain sense, and that's sure. true of the blockbusters, but it's definitely not true of the auteur space. I mean, there are certainly people that use computers, and most people would use a computer to finish an animated film or in some ways, put on a soundtrack or clean up colours or whatever. But I would say probably, you know, of those 4,000-plus submissions, You'd be doing well if any more than a quarter of them would be regarded as as, um, CG or 3D animation. The rest of it is substantially a handmade art form. A lot of people come to that art form because they draw or they sculpt Mm. or they like to move objects around.
0: Annie, I'll get you in here because I wanted to ask you where the centres of great animation are. I know that there's always been some (laughs) fans of Europe and fans of Asia... But apparently this year, a rather unexpected country has put its head above the parapet.
2: Would that be Estonia we're referring to there? It would be (laughs) Estonia. It's it's been a long time running, to be honest. Um, Estonia has always been a country that's been producing uh, interesting and um, unique animation itself. Um, A lot of this has to do with the history of the country and the the people that live there and and art imitating life and life imitating art. The up-and-comers in Estonia are really making a a strong headway in carving um, a style and an aesthetic for themselves. Does Estonia
0: have um, strong government support or something? I I just wondered why Estonia and why
2: now? They are supported quite well uh, by the government. They have two main studios over there, Nuku Film and Yunus Film. One of them is a, a 2D animated studio and the, the other is a, a puppet studio. Quite a small country and to have two big main studios producing art is, is a boon to their animated economy. From what I can gather, and having travelled there myself, they are quite well funded by, by the government. Having spoken to filmmakers like Prit and Olga Pan and, and Prit Tender, you'll find that there's an agreement that if if you are a filmmaker and you have a good idea and you go for funding, you, you will get it. That's the response that I've had to that question.
1: One of the reasons that makes Annie's program I think so timely and so interesting is the geopolitics of Eastern Europe for somebody my age, I'm in my mid-50s, the geopolitics of that over the course of our life has changed drastically with the fall of the wall and the withdrawal of the USSR. A lot of the animation that was made behind the Iron Curtain that cut Europe in half for so much of last century Carried with it lots and lots of really interesting coded political social statements made by people that were um, in their own way trying to discuss what life was like behind the Iron Curtain without putting themselves in a position where they'd um, be mining salt for the rest of their life. <laughs> um, and each one of those um, cultures produced their own community of filmmakers. They each had their own slightly different agendas. Estonia was um, just that much further removed from the control of the USSR. When the animation community was really getting going in the 60s and 70s and the people were beginning to make the films that became so iconically so uniquely Estonian, they were able to kind of weave in more sophisticated, more interesting social comment into their films and that's that's really the basis of the reputation for Estonian animation. Now, if you look at Estonia, if you look at Czechoslovakia, which is now the Republic, if you look at places like Croatia, Poland, Hungary, all those places that were behind the curtain. When the curtain fell in the 90s, they all went through quite painful transitions, and some of those countries have emerged in better shape than others. The Estonians, as a people, in my view anyway, are one of the most forgiving people I've ever come across. And when they were granted independence from Russia, they decided, you know what? We asked for independence, we've got independence, let's get on with it. Let's go ahead and create the society we always wanted to create, by and large, let's bygones, big bygones. And that wasn't always the attitude of a number of the other countries in that world. But the Estonians have gone on and, and created, I suppose, this new version of Estonia. And out of that is this new generation of Estonian animators who people of my age that you know loved all the older pre-independence Estonian animation Wondered whether the animation community, this new generation of people, would be able to maintain that uniqueness, that quirkiness, and all the rest of it, without the need to make films about all the agendas that were were part of any kind of social comment in the eighties mm. and nineties. And you know, th- this is one of the really great reasons that I asked Annie to go in and and investigate this new generation annie is a you know she's a digital native she connects much better with this new rising generation of estonian animators and and as a result it's come back with a program very different than the one that i would have put together and i just i just think it's a a real window on where this is all going
0: annie seeing particularly the estonian films in the selection this year is there anything that a newbie needs to know going in
2: I think, for me, it was really important to uh, do a bit of research in regards to the the history of the country and just find out what what has been going on. The sort of terminology post and pre-independent animation is not one that they really like to use over there. After having sort of had these interviews and discussions with up and coming and well-established animated filmmakers, It, it wasn't a quick process. You know, it wasn't as quick as, say, the Berlin Wall coming down. It didn't happen in a day. The art form that is animation in Estonia is still developing it's still going to go in new directions and, and take on new forms and new stories and narratives it's, it's got places to go from here. I'm an animated filmmaker myself and um, something that is at the heart of all animators it is the sharing of emotions and mm. stories. Because you have adults making these artworks the, the stories and the emotions that are coming through in them are of an adult nature and that's the simple fact that animators go out there to create stories and to impart emotion to their their audience, and that's why most of them predominantly are aimed at an adult audience as well. Mm.
0: I mean, I look at the uh, the rise of the big budget animation companies, I look at Pixar (laughs) and I look at DreamWorks and people like that,
2: and I wonder, (laughs) are
0: are they good or bad for the art form, do you think?
2: I started out um, with a desire to see my pictures move. One of the the other reasons why people start learning to animate is they draw, they want to see their pictures move, and that's really fun. You grow up with these big-name companies, your Disneys, your DreamWorks, your Pixar's, and they're sort of a dream goal when you're first learning to animate, and wouldn't it be wonderful to work with these companies and wouldn't it be wonderful to produce this type of work? Then when you go through the process of becoming an animator and Mm. um, learning how much time and emotional effort you need to put into your work, you sort of start having a bit of a shift and uh, want to maybe hold on to the work that you do. And when you work for a big company like that, you have to let go of all creative control. If you're an animator, you're not able to make the calls that maybe you want to call. They produce beautiful work. They really do. It's a joy to watch for me. Some of the Pixar shorts are wonderful. I will always go and see every big name animated film that comes out because it's keeping animation in the the main street public eye. I would say it's good in that respect. And perhaps um, somebody who might want to go and see... I don't know, The Incredibles? Maybe they notice that there's an animation festival on in New Zealand. So they decide to go and see some independent animation.
1: Any good animation out there um, is, is a great thing. And I've never seen a badly animated Pixar film. I don't think you'll ever see it. But, the, but there's a lot of just wretched animation out there that, that makes, is true. makes it into the hardtop <laughs> yeah. cinemas and there doesn't seem to be a lot of discernment within the, the broader audience picking out the good or the bad. One of, one of the problems we have is we call all of this stuff animation and animation is a term, I often say it's a, a term the same as writing You know, it's a writer could be a journalist, a writer could be a poet, a writer could be a biographer that could be anything and all of those forms are very very different but the other issue that I diverge a little bit with, with Annie's view is that animation is unique among the art forms in that there is very little broad community understanding of what animation really is. If I said jazz to you, if I said opera, if I said ballet, you've got a pretty good idea with that one word what i'm talking about if you say animation to 100 people somewhere between 99 and 100 people are going to say oh pixar and they're going to relate to that and not much else and then in the world i move nobody is surprised that we're doing a program of estonian animation because Mm. it's compelling and it's an important aspect of the auteur independent animation space the notion that almost no animation in my world, is made for families. the the, the notion that you know at least twenty five percent of this the stuff that we get is completely abstract. The thing that I often I grew up loving Bugs Bunny cartoons and Mickey Mouse cartoons and all that kind of stuff, and and still do. But I would say one simple way of resetting the clock to anybody that's listening. Just simply Google a film called Mindscape by Jacques Duran and take on board that six minutes of animation and ask yourself, what's this got in common with Pixar or what's this got in common with Bugs Bunny? Um, And it really only has the technical definition of animation as a common thread. It has nothing else in common. Um, with those forms so it's a very very broad term and it's uh you know one of the missions of the animation now festival is to try and maintain a profile for animation as an art form that's the key takeaway i think in all of this
2: i'd like to change my response to what malcolm (laughs) said please